Welcome to the Stoke It Up podcast, everybody, a podcast encouraging you in your journey with God. I'm Alan Stoddard, and I am your host, and we have an exciting episode this week for you. Today, we're going to talk about church revitalization, church planting, church revival. I don't know what to call it. It's an amazing story with Pastor Lonnie Lerman. He's the pastor at Granbury Baptist Church. I think he's been there 21 years. Is that right, Lonnie? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 21 years. And... Uh, this story is amazing. So Lonnie, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for giving me the time on it. It's going to be great. Well, thanks for having me on, Alan. I'm excited. Well, let me set this up a little bit just for how I got connected to this story. Um, we're talking about independent Baptists and we're talking about transitions for ministry in a way that doesn't compromise the scripture but deals with transitioning our methods sometimes. And I, 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 I got connected to Lonnie through um, a family at Granberry Baptist Church that I knew the mom because I was the pastor of the church where she was in Ruidoso, New Mexico at First Baptist Church. And when we moved to Granberry, my mm-hmm. wife came out three or four months before four months before I did. And she said, well, I'm, I'm attending an independent Baptist church. I was like, what are you talking about? Independent, ba- I, we are not going to an independent Baptist church. What are you talking about? And she said, you're not going to believe this. She said, you're, you're going to love the pastor. He's crazy. And he's just un 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 un. well, I would call it unhinged or he's just a guy that is just thinks crazy, kind of like you do and relates to people who are different and all this stuff. And I was like, well, okay, cool. And then my daughter said the same thing. She said, oh yeah, dad, you're going to love Pastor Lonnie. He's, he's untraceable. You can't keep up with him. And And so I went and I was blown away, Pastor Lonnie, at the church. I was thinking independent Baptists, and we don't mean anything derogatory today to anybody that might listen and go, are you making fun of us? We're not making fun of anybody. But um, uh, I was expecting, okay, women wear dresses, men wear suits and ties, and there's a certain uh, King James only feel to everything. And I was blown away by what I found. This church has been an incredible, life-giving church, such a blessing to me and my family, which that's a whole story right there. But Pastor Lonnie, tell us how you came to Granbury Baptist Church, and let's hear the story of how, how God used you to transition that church into what it is today. How'd you come to GBC, Pastor? Well, first of all, and thank you for such kind words. Uh, we're thankful to get to be a part of what God's doing. But we, I was a youth minister, a worship leader, and uh, kind of the unlikely uh, candidate to be a pastor. So that was kind of a journey within itself. But I just surrendered by watching a war movie. Uh, as, a, as a matter of fact, it was a reenactment of Pearl Harbor. And I really felt like I really felt like I was laying in the floor of a house, a little parsonage in Taylorville, Illinois, and never wanting to preach. I have dyslexia and and, um, never really felt like that would be something that even I could do if I wanted to do. And I was laying on the floor and felt like God was saying, man, you're not going to run and hide. You're going to, you're going to fight. There's people that need Jesus. So I just 
like most of the things in life, I just radically surrendered, said, God, if you want me to do that, then you must believe I can. Told the pastor the next day and uh, sure enough, started going online looking for an area that maybe I felt familiar with. I grew up in West Texas. And uh, anyway, I looked in an area of Stephenville, Weatherford, Granbury, right south of Fort Worth. And I wanted to be in a place where I felt like I maybe knew the culture and uh, it was growing and maybe an area that people would be coming into. And so I came and candidated. There was about 32 people uh, here. I think the youngest active person was 64. I was 32. My wife was 27. And uh, we came down really just to fill the pulpit. They, it wasn't official in view of a call. And of course, we came only from Taylorville, Taylorville, Illinois to come. We had two kids. They were four and one. And we didn't have our third daughter yet and just came and spoke. And to be truthful, it was not what uh, I was looking for. Uh, it was always even the most conservative independent in their methods or the most progressive were normally pretty online doctrinally, but the methods in which the church was being ran and led uh, was not what I wanted to go back to. Uh, so not only were the buildings not what were appealing, it was four government buildings that were trailers, had a metal roof over it and 32 people. And and uh, they wanted somebody that was had a lot of education. I only have my undergrad degree. Uh, they wanted somebody that was a great Bible teacher. I'm not a great Bible teacher. And so uh, it just seemed like it wasn't a fit. Uh, but where the where God comes into the move, even though I was probably not what they were looking for and vice versa, my wife and I went through like a three-hour questioning thing with the trustees in the afternoon and said, you know, they asked me so many questions. And they were questions, if you know, the independent movement, they kind of surrounded some of the talk that you would imagine. And, and, uh, anyway, we left the meeting, got in the van, told my wife, Hey, we do not, that is not where we're going. And people were nice, but this is not, I don't want to get back into this. And we literally didn't say anything for 17 miles. We ended up in a little town called La Pan on the way to Abilene to pick up our kids. And literally I looked over at my wife and said, Hey babe, that's where we're supposed to go. She said, yep. And, uh, that was the beginning of us coming to Granbury. Wow. Okay. So you, you walk into a church running 32 people. Was it a traditional church? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a piano hymns. Um, it was a King James only. Um, and, and, and not that any of those things within themselves are bad, but it was just the atmosphere. No one really active young. Um, only my two kids, there was a grandparent group that was bringing two other kids from time to time. So there was like two to four kids counting my two in the church. And it was just mainly retirement age people who wanted to fulfill the great commission. That, that was one thing I fell in love with them about. They, they desired to do it, uh, but really just wanted, they felt like a church had to reach people the way that they were taught maybe in the 50s and 60s. And so that was kind of where maybe the, the the crux came with us because I grew up in a church like that, very much loved the methods that worked in the 60s and 70s. But so I think that's why they felt a little comfortable with me. I'd sing Southern gospel music and spoke some of their language. But when I came here, we basically said, hey, 
Um, you know, you guys have the right doctrine. You, you guys got a, a good heart. You want to win people to Jesus, but we just can't do it this way because we will, we're already dead, 32 people. And, and you know, it, it will be down when people pass, we'll be down to just my family. So what are we going to do? So that was the beginning of kind of the reprogramming of people. And really, uh, I, I don't, most people probably listen to your, your podcast, understand just getting rid of the religion and just getting straight to what did God say? What does the word of God say? And what does it take to win this generation of Jesus? That's now that's exciting. So what was the story Lonnie about where you said, Hey, look, if you're okay with people going to hell, wasn't there a story about that? Yeah. Yeah. We, we started getting a little traction. You know, there were people coming, kind of kicking the tires of the church, wanting to see who this young pastor is. And, and because I'm ADD and a little, little crazy, it, people are like, man, I heard that guy, this and that. So they started getting a little bit of traction, not really seeing anybody saved yet, but people just coming to look at the church. And we started growing and the little auditorium had, we had got some pews they had before I came from a church of Christ church and they literally just cut them in half and, and set them in there. And the place, you know, just wasn't very appealing, but we started getting full enough to where, you know, we needed really to go to two services. And because it wasn't that we were huge, it was just the auditorium is so small and we didn't have money to build. And so I, at that time I would let people vote pretty much on everything. And I just was young and I wanted it to be a family. You know, our whole thought was we want this place to be real people in a real world serving a real God, just we're just family, man. This we're the family of God. We're not an organization. People don't give their lives for an organization. We're a family, and I'd give my life for them, and vice versa. So we started creating that atmosphere, and and we probably 80, 90, maybe a hundred people. So the church had never, in its existence since nineteen eighty nine, had ever seen that many people coming. But I just knew we needed to get more people in. Our parking lot was tiny. It was a chip and seal parking lot. And if it rained, you couldn't park off that little parking lot. You'd get stuck. And so we got full. And I said, let's just go to two services, gain some traction. And then, you know, we really want to reach people for Jesus. And man, I got all kinds of diversity. Like even the people that were in leadership that were with me were like, no, we're going to, they, they were so excited. They thought that 80, 90, 100 people, like we had made it, like we were there. And, and, you know, I was dreaming dreams of planning a lot of churches and sending millions to missions. And, and you ain't doing that with 80, 90 people and the town's growing and the gospel always works. And so I always say God's recipes always taste good and, and, and they work. And so anyway, I said, let's go to two services. We're going to vote. And man, it wasn't like negativity. People weren't being mean. It was, I, there was never like a negative spirit. So I just want to say that in advance, it was just, people just were, were they had always heard, man, you go to two services, you're going to split the church. We're not going to know each other. And even though it was small, it was larger than they had ever been a part of. So to them, a uh, hundred people was a lot of people. So anyway, I just preached a sermon and I call it my go to hell service. Uh, my wife doesn't like me to refer to it that way, but I basically said, if we, if, if you vote tonight against us going to two services, then when the parking lot's full next week, then, then I want you to stand with me in the entrance of the parking lot when it's full, which it would fill up fast. I want you to wave at everybody that drives by and just tell them to go to hell. 
And my wife says I said that seven times. I don't remember saying go to hell seven times. But I really believe, and I believed then as much as I do now, if we're not willing to do whatever it takes to win this world to Jesus Christ, we're basically saying go to hell. And, uh, and, and sure enough, believe it or not, that night we had a hundred percent vote because <laughs> people didn't want <laughs> to, <laughs> to that stay story with me. is so good, man. <laughs> yeah. So that was really, that was kind of another little step up. As soon as we went to two services, we're seeing some numerical, uh, growth at that point. And two services worked. Yeah. Yeah. We grew to about in that building. We, we built a little 40 by 20 building for kids because we started you know the, let's say getting to about year four year three three we started seeing that we needed another place went to two services and believe it or not by the time we built the next building in those four government trailers and a little 20 by 40 we averaged 289 that month in in those just multiple service i always called people we had a kitchen that was just a ghetto kitchen and i would tell people that if you sat on the counter, then you only had to tithe half because you were in the cheap seats. Uh, but it it was cool to see people would sit in the foyer, which the foyer was really a screened-in porch that we that we put walls around. And once everybody got full in the auditorium, then they would sit in the foyer and peer through the door. And it, it was a real exciting time. And that is dynamite. Now, Lonnie, I think you told me that that you planted the first church that you guys have planted, maybe it's in Granbury at 289 people. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. I yep. mean, that is fascinating, man. What was going through your mind with that? Nobody plants a church at 289, Pastor Lonnie. I mean, what's, what's up with that? Give us some insight. What was going through your mind and in your heart? Well, really from the beginning of the, the church, that was always in our mindset and as a leader, I don't ever want to be deceptive, but I think sometimes you just, you don't want to give people too much at once. And, but from day one, our very first business meeting, we had one page of, 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 you know, financial statement. And the only thing we had to vote on that day was to make a plaque for a lady who had put a steeple on our little ghetto church. And, and that was all the business that we had. And I remember sitting there as a young guy, kind of a not upset with anybody, but thinking, man, we're the church of the living God. And the only business that we have to talk about is putting a steeple on a trailers that no one in town hardly knew about. I mean, and that was when I still had the piece of paper. I turned the piece of paper over and literally just started drawing out construction. Like we're going to, we're going to build a building here. And then once we get to, roughly 275, 300, Lord willing, we're going to plan our first church and, and we'll send somebody from here to go and a group of our people. And I just started kind of dreaming that dream with them early. And, and then people, because we had heard, I guess this is a statistic that's old now, but it's still very pertinent. But most of the people that are coming to Jesus Christ in the United States are coming to Jesus Christ in a new church plant. And I don't know the exact statistic because people normally make statistics up. But whatever the case, I just knew if we didn't plant churches, uh, then we probably wouldn't going to be leading people to Jesus. So as a long answer, but we just said, all right, let's go. We started praying about where Glen Rose is roughly 22 miles away. Uh, so we did a little bit of 
surveying. We we just saw the churches were there. I literally called every church in town and asked, how many people do you have coming to your church under 25? And so we basically saw out of the number of the people the Chamber of Commerce said that were in Glen Rose under 25. And then we did the math with how many people in the churches in Glen Rose that were going to church under 25. And it was less than 5%. So we custom started and led that church with the intent of looking to reach the younger generation. So we sent Chris Kitts. Uh, our, he was our youth pastor. I've known Chris. My wife went to high school with him. I've known him forever. If you meet Chris, you know him, you love him. But he kind of just assumed the position. We always laugh. We don't even know how it happened. But him and then we sent initially around 25 people out of our church to go there with Chris uh, to try to just help with, you know, worship leader uh, and children and greeters and just tried to as well as we could staff uh, the church and then just tried to start creating that mentality we did earlier. But they're really, hey, you're you're not leaving Granbury Baptist. You're just part of our church planning family. And so that was when the whole philosophy is uh, each church is autonomous. I'm not big daddy. I don't make the decisions for those churches. But that's when we started trying to create the mentality of this is how you reach people. And even though it's difficult, and even though it initially does take a little bit away from the home church, every time we've pruned the tree now, seven times later, uh, even though we give away members and people go, we've always grown. It's like we give away tithers, people that give the missions, people that are there, your go to. But that was our first experience just to say, all right, look, we're just going to trust God in this process. And we sent Chris and the group there. And it took a long time to catch hold, but they're thriving. I'm, I'm, my middle son and his wife and grandbaby, they served at that church now. So it's full circle, really cool to see how that works. So sorry, it was a long answer. But. No, that's good, man. We want, I, uh, we, we want the discussion and I'm here with pastor Lonnie Lerman, everybody. And we're talking about how a church can transition from the past into the present and have a, a poise for the future. I was down there yesterday with Chris and, uh, I believe with all that's going on down there, the church is running about 70 right now and vibrant, and I believe they're going to go over a hundred people by the end of the year. They're what they're doing they're with kids ministry and things like that. They're just on fire. This dude, he knows, I told this yesterday to Chris, I said, Chris, you're a master at making a smaller church big. I mean, they just have a big vision and it's not like a freaky big, it's like gospel and great commission. <laughs> it's like what we should be doing, regardless of how big your church is, whatever that uh, means. So it's exciting to see what's going on down there at um, Rivers Church and Glen Rose. You guys uh, who are listeners, you ought to check out uh, Rivers Church and Glen Rose if you ever go down there. And then also you want to come by Granbury Baptist Church because it's really a fascinating church. When I came to Granbury Baptist, I thought this looks a lot like a Calvary Chapel. I had been in a Calvary Chapel uh, environment for five years. And so... Lonnie, let's talk a little bit with the time we got left about the independent Baptist movement and where it went. When I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, I was uh, exposed to the gospel through an independent Baptist church there in Jacksonville, a very big independent Baptist church. They would come through the neighborhoods and invite kids to come to church on a bus. 
and my family didn't go to church. And so I, I was a bus kid and I went on the bus and went for a while. And uh, I didn't realize what I didn't know at that time. I was just a kid, but it was a, it was a church that you dressed up all the time. You wore a suit and a tie. If you were a guy, you wore a dress. If you were a woman and there was this, you've mentioned it a couple of times. It's more the tone of the ministry that's developed, not any of those necessarily those practices, but the tone of, uh, whether it's Bible version or, uh, ministry strategy, there's this tone to it. And I come to GBC and I look up and I go, what in the world happened to the independent Baptist movement? So now you're connected with the Bible college in Springfield, which is very, and I'm going to use this phrase about Granbury Baptist. It's life-giving. Uh, you can just tell it's a life-giving church. And that's, that's a big criteria. I think for people, I think they want to go and be a part of something that's life-giving but what has happened? If I were to ask you what's happened uh, with the independent Baptist movement, what's going on with that? Why did, how did it transition? And what is your front row, front row seat view of that transition? Well, it's, it's, that's a great question. It's really exciting because one of the greatest strengths of the independent movement, where they're just so Bible-based, even from their conception, just what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And like any great movement, it's easy to start worshiping the methods in which you use uh, uh, to reach people for Jesus. And what happened with the independent movement for years and decades, and you said it wasn't about the suits and the dresses and the versions. It was just got stuck in a mentality of this is the way that you reach people for Jesus. And then it became uh, unintentionally. I mean, I traveled the country. I was in 42 states singing with the Southern Gospel Quartet. So I have seen the gamut of independent Baptists, amazing people, amazing missions, giving churches all over the country. But what happened was, was instead of just saying, hey, this generation is going to take a different lure if you're fishing for men, it just like it got very stuck in the one way to reach people. It was like the door knocking is the only way. This is how you should look. This is how you should talk. And, and thankfully, uh, several years ago, not just recently, really more than 10, we started seeing a really good uh, return back to what does it take to reach people today? And it kind of got, since independent churches are that, they're independent, it really started happening organically all over the world not just in Texas, not just in the United States, just through the movement of people my age and older and younger just saying, hey, we just want to reach people for Jesus. And we love that we have this network that we can send missionaries around the world. But it, we're going to reach people. And, and, and if it looks different and if it needs. So it just started. God just started moving through the independent movement. And now I really feel like it's the spark of just seeing revival across the country. I just left the meeting in May and man, some of the fastest growing churches and churches that are planning more churches than any other movement in the United States are independent pastors that are, have been trained with incredible doctrinal uh, foundation, but now a network that's kind of encouraging other people to just go for it, 
to just start playing churches. So it's kind of neat. It's not just young either. You know, most people would think, oh, it's just the young guys that are coming in. It's so cool to see many of the men have been in the ministry 30, 40, 50 years. They're leading the charge. They're saying, let's go. Man, time is short. So the momentum, if you can use that secular word, the moving of the spirit of God is really starting to permeate. And it's spreading so cool because we support missionaries independently. But our missionaries are going from our church saying, man, you won't believe what's happening in Tallahassee, Florida, man. God is moving in there. And it's so cool because the word is spreading kind of like it did back in the day when Paul, you know, it's like not just online, but word by mouth by mouth. People are going around. So you're starting to see some really uh, getting rid of the rules and just saying, hey, let's just let's just reach people in our our community and our churches, every one of our churches that we were part of and we started, they all look different. We have different methods. They dress differently, but we're trying to be missionaries like we expect missionaries that are go globally, go to the culture that you're, that you're going to try to reach. And you don't bend the gospel, but you sure bend your methods to reach the culture. And so that movement is really starting to happen. I mean, start, it's been happening, but really starting to be visible now. Uh, independent movement, and it's breeding a a revival. And I always hesitate to use that word because a a true, true revival of people are excited and, and, and the believers are starting to believe that the gospel still will work, even though you have to reach people differently. So obviously you can see I'm excited about it. Uh, That's a long answer again, but Man, that's, that's great. Because, well, it's a great answer. It's great just to hear that. Because revitalization is the key word. I know you know that. So uh, if you're listening, you're wondering, like, you're in a church, and you're going, I wish my church was like that. Well, it's called revitalization. It's become a big, um, kind of a code word, or a hot buzz word in the last 10 or 15 years. And uh, it's possible to transition churches into new life. And so many of them uh, need to transition. I see churches out there that uh, they need to transition, but they don't for various reasons, usually related to just giving up control and realizing there's a new season ahead. Um, And it's just tough to let go of things that you've been a part of in the past as far as methods. Um, Lonnie, would you say that when you came to Granbury Baptist, this passion was in your uh, heart, or would you say it was in your heart, but it really exploded at a certain period of time to see the church change? Well, it was, it was in my heart when I got here. Like I knew, I knew if we were going to reach this world for Jesus, that would be the only way. And to be truthful, Alan, I'm not. Uh, and it's not false. I'm not good at really anything. I don't have any like gifts and ability, but the one thing God has given me is the ability to believe him. And, and I really believe he loves this generation. So for me, everything else became secondary. Like if, if somebody got upset because we were changing methods, then, then, then they were just going to have to be upset. That was not my goal. But I just believe that if we were going to really do what we were called to do, it's our watch. It's our day to reach this world for Jesus. That passion was so ingrained in me when I came. I didn't care if the 32 got down to my five or four. I, I didn't I didn't care. It, they couldn't afford to pay me. I wasn't tempted by money or I didn't have any prestige. I didn't. I mean, who am I? I'm just 
32 year old guy that could barely even speak. I can't even hardly spell or read. So I'm like, what, what are they going to do? Take away my, uh, <laughs> my birthday. So I, I just knew that Jesus needed to be spread and things had to be changed. And I'd been in churches that it had happened. So I'd seen it happen. So I just said, man, let's just, we're going to go for it. And, and what I was so cool, Alan, is we didn't lose a soul for five years. That 32 people. I mean, we radically changed from piano, to organ, uh, suit wearing, pew having, uh, to people using our building for karate, for, I mean, just opening up the building and using it like a community center and, and, and leaving the doors unlocked during the day so we could meet our community tomorrow. What's so cool is that the people really wanted that to happen. They just needed the freedom to say it's okay to change. It's so, so all those fears, you know, if I can quickly just speak to if you're a pastor, if you're a leader out there right now, just know the fear that you have about change is not from God. That's, that's from the evil one. And the reason why he puts those fears and what is so-and-so going to say is because when God's moving and he breeds change in you and you and I are willing to step out into that Jordan, uh, the waters will, will part and it will work. But that fear is not of God. So whatever you're afraid of and people are like, well, what would have happened if, if, you know, you know, the church would have died? Well, it was going to die anyway. And my thought is always, what, what, what if we don't? What if we don't plant churches, plant churches? What if we don't revitalize churches? What if we don't make the changes? Then people will die and go to hell. And, and I'm not all right with that. I would rather lose. Yeah, amen. I'd rather lose my position than lose somebody to hell. So for me, it was easy to to just see the people that don't even know Granberry was here. It was easy for me to make those hard changes and to take it on the chin and to have somebody every week for five years sit, you know, complain about changes. It was worth it for me because people matter and that's what Jesus gave his life for. And so I'm like, if he'll give his life on the cross and I'll give my reputation or my popularity uh, with the people to make the changes. And what's so cool is God does what he does. He ignited the people who were against. And I did a funeral of a man that was probably one of the hardest ones. And at the end, he would just smile and say, man, had it been a good ride. And I'm so glad I got to be a part of a church that happened. So, uh, so anyway, uh, I just think it's worth it. And and no matter where the church is, change has always got to happen. And change does happen, and it's God-led. It can be like where we are. I can look back now, and people are working all through our building right now and in each one of our churches and buildings. And, and now I'm at that old man stage. I'm not through. We still got a lot to do. But now I can look back and think, man, I'm so thankful that as dumb as I am, at least God gave me enough sense to listen to him and to get to see what just a tiny part of what he can do. He's powerful. I'm sitting here looking at uh, Psalm 126. It says, those who shed tears as they plant will shout for joy when they reap the harvest. The one who weeps as he walks along carrying his bag of seed will certainly come in with a shout of joy carrying his sheaves of grain. There's a harvest comes from uh, weeping, and I love that about you, uh, Pastor Lonnie, that you're a weeping pastor. You're you're willing to plead 
to the Lord of the harvest with tears. And um, I love that, man. It's not uh, something that's contrived. I've watched you. I tell people, I say, man, Pastor Lonnie, he's the weeping. He's the weeping preacher, man. He will weep as he pleads for people to get saved. I I, I love that. And I want to uh, tell everybody uh, just to key in. Lonnie has the gift of faith. That's I, I noticed that about you when I first met you, Lonnie. I didn't even know you. And I just met you. I went, man, this dude's got the gift of faith. That is amazing because you don't see that in many people. I'm talking about the spiritual gift of faith. I'm not talking about like we all lean in and have faith. I'm talking about the spiritual gift. Okay. I want to squeeze one more question out of you and and we'll uh, close out the podcast today. But I want to talk about missions. I was a Southern Baptist guy for 26 years, and uh, I have nothing against my Southern Baptist friends. Um I'm more of an independent guy now. I fit into the Calvary camp. I'm loving partnering up with uh, E3 Church Planting and what, uh, of course, what you're doing there, Pastor Lonnie. It's just, it's exciting. And and I want to be careful the way I say it, I guess. This is not a beatdown of anybody. I still have so many SBC friends. I, I will partner with anybody that's gospel preaching. Uh, but I, as a Southern Baptist guy, was told this is the way you do missions and you know, we would do Lottie Moon, we would do uh, Annie Armstrong, we did missions throughout the church. But I want to just tell you, I've learned more about missions in the last year at Granbury Baptist Church than I have in the previous many, many years that I've been a Christian. I've watched uh, Granbury Baptist bring in missionaries who get platform time, who uh, get uh, uh, funding, prayers, resource. If there's anything, when you guys come to Granbury Baptist, you need to come when you come through Granbury, come to Granbury Baptist. It is a very unique church. You will feel missions ooze out of the lifeblood of that church. If there's anything you will catch, it will be that there's missions going on. Uh, the church this year gave $500,000 to missions. I find that fascinating. That is unreal. Lonnie, give us your vision for missions and fill in the blank of what I just brought up. What, what, what are you thinking on missions? What's the vision? Well, one, you know, the Great Commission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all over the world. As you think about time, and we preachers said this for years, but being short, believe in First Thessalonians four, the trumpet of God sounding soon. I really believe now we have more of an opportunity and more of an obligation to tell the world. There's places around the world that have never heard the name Jesus or even heard the gospel still in this day and time. And as I said earlier, I'm not okay with that. And so our philosophy with missions is not see how little you can give to see how much you can give. And I've seen it as I've traveled and I've watched it. People, churches who are great commission minded and not just their Jerusalem, just their church, but their county, their state, the United States world. I just saw it as I traveled. Those churches seem to flourish. And I believe it's it's you're loving what God loves and God loves people more than anything. And not just your people, but people all over the world that don't look like you, talk like you, act like you. So our philosophy here and why, why we have a goal of planting 100 churches, and we even said that when our church was small and we wanted to give a million dollars a year to missions, and people thought I was drunk and, and I wasn't. Uh, but they, they all wonder, what in the world are you thinking? Is because I believe the more people you get and you reach in your community, then the more resources you have to reach the world. And so for us as independent, you just take up on uh, really a, it's not between you and 
and in the church it's a we do once or twice a year we do an emphasis we have missionaries through all year we want to be in front of our kids like our kids ministry every room is a different part of the world so they start learning from the time they're in kindergarten preschool all the way up our kids gave six grand to missions last year that's below five, fifth grade so we start telling them right now you can make a difference in Africa and Asia. And so, so it's, we just start telling them, man, it's our job to reach the world. And that starts to permeate through the church. And then we give over and above our tithe and offering. And many people give more to missions a week than they do to tithe, even in the church, because they see that the missions money goes directly. We don't take a part out. There's an, an organization that takes a chunk. For instance, if I give a hundred a week to missions, $100 goes straight to the missions clearinghouse. That clearinghouse doesn't take a dime. That money goes exactly who we get to say, hey, that missionary has been through our church. We know them. We know their family. We don't just have a prayer card of a, of a guy. We get to meet them. And so it's personal. You begin to love them in a personal way. And then every dime that we give to missions gets to go to the missionary. And so that's kind of where it's different than a lot of places. You get to know missionary. It's obviously on our heart. It's the only reason I exist is that the world can know Jesus. And in our town, Granbury, I could point you to five solid churches that are gospel speaking. But what kind of sets apart churches that I think God really has his hand on are the ones that are, are, are trying to reach the world. So the more people we can get in the seats here, the more people we can you know, send around the world. So pretty exciting. I hope that answered your question. No, it sure did, man. Well, we could keep going. I could just keep doing this. This is a fascinating conversation. If you're listening and you need any kind of uh, just continued conversation on this matter, maybe you want prayer or you just want to think through some strategy things or we want to make ourselves available. I know Pastor Lonnie will be available. I will be available. You know, we can't do everything, but we would do something and we want to see churches encouraged. We want to see Christians engaged and encouraged on their journey with God. Uh, Pastor Lonnie, thank you so much for coming on the Stoke It Up podcast, man. I greatly appreciate you and love you, man. I appreciate for all that you've meant for me and my family. Uh, my mom's crazy about you. She just loves you to death, man. Anyway, that's a whole separate story about how our family has been really blessed but uh, thank you for being on and sharing your story, brother. Any final comments before I turn us off? I just want to say thank you, Alan. You are the kind of people that keep my fire lit. So thank you for your love for the Lord, your willingness to do whatever it takes, and even what God's leading through you. So you don't even know what you've done for us. You always say nice things, but just your heart for the Lord and your willingness to swing for the fences for the glory of God, you just inspire the fire out of me. So thank you for your friendship. Hey, and wait to see you, what, what God's going to do through you this year. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, as we stop, I want to encourage you to keep your life focused on the good news of Jesus Christ and the great commission of his mission. God has a plan for your life. It's not just to make you successful. It's for you to be effective and successful within his dream and his plan for your life. Pastor Lonnie has, has stated that in a few different ways here on the podcast, and we want to be a part of your journey. So if we can, let us know how we can help. We will see you on the next episode of the Stoke It Up podcast. God bless. Let's get out of here. God bless. Bye-bye.